the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Back in Old Testament times, there were two goats that were presented to the high priest. And one goat was offered to the Lord as a sacrifice. The other goat, the priest would pray over, lay hands upon, that the sins of the people might be transferred in this symbolic way upon this goat. And then the goat was sent out from the city into the wilderness to die. And it was actually a beautiful picture of how our sins are cast away, that Jesus became for us, in a sense, the scapegoat. Isn't God's plan of redemption amazing? As you dive deeper into the whole Bible, you find so much connection between the Old and New Testament. So much of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Do you think God had a plan all along? In today's message, Pastor Gary will share about the concept of the scapegoat in the people of Israel. God made a way back then for His people to be cleansed of their sins. Today, you could be cleansed because Jesus took your sin upon His shoulders. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 16, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When the people of Israel get to the Promised Land after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, after they finally after 40 years, make it there. Moses has handed leadership off to Joshua. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. And then because the nation of Israel is divided into 12 tribes based on the 12 sons of Jacob, roughly, there's some grandsons of Jacob in there, um, each tribe is given a land allotment. And so we've already looked at uh, two and a half of the tribes, uh, Reuben and Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh are going to uh, live out their uh, lives in the territory east of the Jordan River uh, in what is today Saudi Arabia. Uh, sorry, what is today Jordan. And then the other nine and a half tribes are going to end up uh, dividing the western side of the Jordan River. And so far, uh, up to this point, we have seen the land allotment to the tribe of Judah, And uh, as soon as Judah gets their land allotment, you remember that Caleb uh, comes to Joshua, since Joshua and Caleb were the only two who were righteous before God to enter the promised land because of their faithfulness, their entire generation died in the wilderness on the 40-year journey. But Joshua and Caleb were the only two righteous, and Caleb comes to Joshua and says, hey, Josh, remember, I was one with you. And the two of us came into the promised land, and Moses promised me that wherever my foot would trod, that there I could lay claim to the land. So what can I have? As you're ready to dispense by lot, 
these land divisions to the tribes, I want my share. And it was something that was promised to him. And so uh, Joshua gives him Hebron, the town of Hebron, which is located today in the West Bank. Now, just a a little history on this to get us up to speed here. Um, In around 975 BC, after the death of King Solomon, the land of Israel becomes divided. There is civil war. And when you look at this land allotment on the uh, western side of the Jordan River, it's going to be divided basically in half. You're going to have uh, 10 tribes that divide to the north and two tribes that separate to the south. And basically, believe it or not, the civil war in Israel was over heavy taxation. Okay? Stuff has not changed, right? And so over heavy taxation, the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, imposed heavy taxation on the Israelites. And so 10 of the 12 tribes said, we're not into this, and we're separating. And the 10 northern tribes became known by the name Israel because they contained the majority of the tribes. So they retained the larger national name, Israel. And they selected Jeroboam as their king, not the son of Solomon, Jeroboam. But two uh, tribes to the south were okay with Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And those two tribes to the south were Judah, which we've already noticed here, and we'll mention in a little bit in the green territory is the little tribe of Benjamin. And Jerusalem becomes the capital for the southern territory, and the southern territory will be known by the larger tribal name of Judah. The reason I bring this up is because sometimes people want to know, why did the people of God end up being called Jews? They were called Jews after the tribe of Judah. Because after the nation of Israel is dispersed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the 10 northern tribes, they say, are lost. They're not lost to God, but they were, they, they were lost in terms of geography and in terms of heritage, not lost to God. And so the nation of Israel, the 10 tribes became lost, if you will. But the southern tribes of Judah then retained the larger name that identified the people. Jews are called such after the tribe of Judah. So there's a little history background on all of this. Judah is the largest of the 12 tribes. That's why they've been given the largest of the territories. And so when we come here to chapter 16, Joshua now is going to decide and determine by lot, we're going to talk about that, what the land divisions are for the remaining tribes. So I know some of this is a little monotonous when we look at these chapters here and we're just like reading tribe allotment, tribe allotment, tribe allotment, boundaries, the names of villages, the names of towns, and all this stuff. And I get it, but there's some wonderful application in all this, so don't miss it. The first thing I want you to notice in chapter 16 is that phrase, the lot fell. The lot fell. That's in verse 1, because the way that they would determine... What tribes got what land was by lot? What does this mean? It was literally like a casting of dice. Not as um, simplistic as that, but that's what it means. And it says they would cast the lot. The lot fell. Now, you have to understand something because to us that seems, and it should seem, like such an unspiritual thing. What are are you, drawing straws for this? You're just rolling the dice to figure out who gets what land allotment? 
Well, you have to remember, and you can mark this verse down in the margin of your Bibles. It's Proverbs 16, verse 33, and this is what it says. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That's Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You see, in Old Testament times, and I want to state that again, Old Testament times, and I'll clarify in a moment. But in Old Testament times, there was a way that one could try to discern the will of God. And it was through the casting of lots. And that God actually honored it to reveal his will in terms of yes or no by the casting of a lot. So to us, this looks like this is so unspiritual. You know, they're just rolling dice to figure out who lives where. But behind that was a very strong spiritual emphasis. And that's why in Proverbs 16.33 it says, well, the lot is cast into the lot, but every decision is from the Lord because they really sought the Lord in doing this. Now, just as a way to understand the casting of lots in the Bible, the first time that casting of lots is mentioned in your Bibles is in Leviticus 16 and verse 8. The first time lots were cast was by Aaron the priest. Aaron was the brother of Moses. And Aaron cast the lots to determine when two goats were presented, which one was to be offered to the Lord and which one was to be the scapegoat. Now, we have that saying today in in our vernacular. You know, someone was a scapegoat. It means, you know, blame was pinned on them and they took the blame and a lot of times it's not justified. They became somebody's scapegoat. Well, back in Old Testament times, there were two goats that were presented to the high priest. And one goat was offered to the Lord as a sacrifice. The other goat, the priest would pray over, lay hands upon, that the sins of the people might be transferred in this symbolic way upon this goat. And then the goat was sent out from the city into the wilderness to die. And it was actually a beautiful picture of how our sins are cast away, that Jesus became for us, in a sense, the scapegoat because he took on our sins and he died on our behalf. And it was uh, symbolic there. It was a picture in Old Testament times of how the scapegoat would transfer the symbolically the sins of the people and then cast out of the city that it might die. So um, the first time that lots are cast is by the high priest Aaron. There in Leviticus 16, 8, when he's determining which goat goes to the Lord, which goat becomes the scapegoat. The last time that casting lots are mentioned in the Bible is actually in your New Testaments. It's in Acts 1.26. Now, in Acts 1.26, what happened was that the disciples were together, minus Judas, because Judas had already hanged himself at this point. The disciples are together in the upper room, and they're waiting on the Lord. This is before Pentecost uh, and the Holy Spirit falling upon them and filling them. Uh, And so they got together, the disciples, the 11, and decided we need to select Judas's replacement. Now, what's interesting is they were never really told by the Lord to do that. So it seems that this is somewhat of a fleshly decision. You know, they got some time on their hands. They're they're waiting for, they don't know what, you know. They're just told, you know, wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. You know, Jesus told them. So they're like waiting there. They're praying. They're spending time together. And and I think they have some time on their hands. And they're like, you know what we ought to do? 
we ought to roll some dice and figure out who's going to replace Judas. Now, why do I say it that way? Because when they cast the lots, and that's the last time the lots are ever mentioned being cast, it's Acts one twenty six to find Judas's replacement, it says that the lot falls on a guy by the name of Matthias. And so they take him as the replacement for Judas. But you know what? That guy is not mentioned another time in all of the Bible. Judas's replacement is not mentioned any other time. And most Bible scholars believe that the reason he's not mentioned again is because he was never God's will. God never asked them, choose Judas' replacement. Why? Because it is likely that the one that God chose to replace Judas was the one that Jesus appeared to on the road to Damascus. His name, Paul. So it seems there in Acts 1 that they did a fleshly thing that they didn't need to do because it wasn't God's intent that Matthias should replace Judas. Now, that's the last time that the lot is cast. And why is that? And even then, as I'm saying, it probably was not something instructed by the Lord. The reason why that's the last time it appears is because we're not to do that today. Okay? You are not to try to, you know, draw a straw or roll a dice or flip a coin to try to figure out God's will. And if you're doing that, God, stop it. Just, I mean, just, just stop that. Okay? Because it's, that's not God's will for you. You know, and I've heard some crazy stories of people who, you know, I had this one dear family. At the time when they told me this, you know, they weren't, they didn't really have a relationship with Jesus, and they've since uh, moved. But um, I remember them saying, you know what, we decided to come to Cornerstone because we flipped a coin. I said, really? They said, yeah, yeah, we decided to flip a coin. And then this is, it was so funny. It was, it was very precious because she says to me, the, the wife says to me, but, you know, the reality is it was between you and another church, and I really didn't want to go to the other church. And so heads was cornerstone and tails was the other church. I had to flip 12 times to get the heads. <laughs> I said, wow, okay, thanks a lot. After 12 times, then, you know, you finally got heads, and now you're a cornerstone. But anyway, I tried to help them understand. Listen. There's a way you can actually discern the will of God. It doesn't involve flipping a coin. And she's like, really? I said, yeah, it's called prayer. You pray now. And we have the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. And so, you see, that's what's interesting. Acts 126, last time the lots were cast in the Bible. Why? Because Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. And now coming with the Holy Spirit is the wisdom from above and the ability to discern and understand the will of God. Without the Holy Spirit, without this personal indwelling of God's presence, then people in the Bible would resort to other mechanical methods to try to discern and determine the will of God, which God did honor for a time until he gave the Holy Spirit. Now that we have the Holy Spirit and we have God's Word and the Spirit bearing witness to our spirit as we read the Bible and as we discern the will of God through prayer The Holy Spirit gives us counsel, we read God's word, and anything we think that contradicts God's word, we should reject. This is how God helps us now to understand what his will is. No more casting dice, no more drawing straws, no more flipping coins. Now, in our story here, how was it that they actually cast the lots? And I think it's important. I want you to go back to Numbers. If you flip back in your Bibles uh, to the left a little bit, Numbers chapter uh, 27 Uh, I want you to to see this with me from Numbers chapter 27, because we actually are given instructions as to um, how Joshua was to discern the will of God through the casting of lots. By the way, as you're turning there to Numbers 27, there's actually a feast on the Jewish calendar 
about the lots, the feast of Purim. Pur in the Hebrew, P-U-R, means lot. The plural of lot is lots, and in Hebrew, the plural of pur is Purim, the feast of Purim. Why is the feast of Purim something celebrated related to the lots? Because in the book of Esther, there was a wicked man, an Agagite by the name of Haman, and Haman cast the lots because, see, even pagans would try to determine the God's will by casting lots back in the day. Haman, this wicked, was basically like the prime minister of Persia. When the Jewish people were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and they ended up staying there in Babylon and subsequently Persia, that Haman, this wicked prime minister of Persia, cast the lots to determine the date when all the Jews should be massacred because he was just demonic. You know, Hitler was not the only one who wanted to exterminate the Jews. You know, there have been plenty of demonic leaders, past and present and future, with the Antichrist who are anti-Semitic and want to destroy the Jews. And Haman was one such demonic man. And the Bible says in the book of Esther that he cast the lots to try to figure out the date upon which this massacre should occur by exterminating the Jews. Well, as many of you know the story of the book of Esther, God intervenes, and Haman is the one who ends up dying and not the Jews. But when subsequent to that, the Jewish people remember God's favor towards them when the lot was cast, but God intervened and they were not massacred. That's the feast of Purim, the feast of lots. Now here in Numbers chapter 27, this is when Joshua is being raised up to succeed Moses. And we read this at the end of chapter 27. Look at verse 18. So this is before Moses dies. These are his instructions here. Numbers 27, verse 18. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest, note that, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority. This is God talking to Moses. Give Joshua some of your authority, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Notice this, verse 21, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. I'll explain that in a minute. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. All right, here's what we learn. Moses is parting instructions from the Lord. Concerning Joshua, here's how you're going to discern the will of the Lord. And it's given to us right here. We just read it. You're going to go to Eliezer the priest, and you're going to inquire of the will of the Lord through the Urim. What is the Urim? The high priest, Eliezer was the high priest, and you can go back here now to the book of Joshua, because Eliezer is still the high priest here when we're reading the book of Joshua. The high priest had a vestment, and in the vestment were two stones called the Urim and the Tumim. And they were different colored stones. Because they're not around today, nobody really knows for sure. Most Bible scholars think one was white and one was black. And the purpose of the Urim and the Tumim was to discern the will of God. And it was only a yes answer or a no answer. That was it. And one of the stones with one of the colors meant yes. And one of the stones with the other color meant no. 
So somebody would come to inquire of the Lord. You'd go to the high priest, and for example, you would say, should we go fight the Amalekites? What do you say, Lord? What is your will? Should we go and fight the Amalekites? And the high priest would reach in without looking and pull out a stone. If it was the yes stone, it was yes. If it was the no stone, it was no. That's how they cast the lots. So specifically here in the book of Joshua, when we're reading how the lot was cast, he's going to the priest. In fact, if you go back here to Joshua, glance ahead to chapter 19, the very last verse of chapter 19. I want you to see that this is how they actually did it. In chapter 19, verse 51, last verse. These were the inheritance which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. So it tells us right here, this is exactly how they determined it. They would cast the lot, and by casting the lot, in this case, what it meant was, Joshua would go to Eleazar the priest and say, all right, here's the tribal, here's the division of land. Who's supposed to get this? Is it supposed to go to the tribe of Judah? Yes or no? And they'd be pulling out stones. Oh, no. Try again. Is it supposed to go to Issachar? Yes or no? No. Try again. It's supposed to go. To... See, this is how they would do it. Okay? Now, again, today, you got the Word of God, you got the Holy Spirit, you got prayer. So don't be flipping a coin. But in this story, this is how they determine the will of God. Now, let's go back here, and I'm going to skim through a lot of this. But here we go, back into chapter 16. So now... After dividing the land for Judah, we're going to start to divide the land uh, for the rest of the tribes. And here it goes, verse 1. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan, because Joseph gets a double blessing. So both of his kids, Joseph's going to be removed, and both of his kids are going to get assigned territory. Uh, The children of Joseph by the Jordan, by Jericho, to the waters of Jericho on the east... The wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel, and then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites at Ataroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Japhelites, as far as the boundary of lower Beth-horon to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, and here they are, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. And here we go. Verse 5, the border of the children of Ephraim according to their families, was this. And then it lists all these villages and towns, which I'm not going to do. But I will highlight the territory of Ephraim. That's what they get assigned here. And uh, I want you to notice that as it describes, here are the boundaries for Ephraim. It does say at the end of chapter 16, and I want you to notice this, we'll come back to it in verse 10. It says, and they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. Now, look, this is a very dangerous thing that we're reading here, so don't overlook it. They're supposed to drive out everybody because the people who inhabit the land are pagan people. They are not only opposed to God, they are opposed to the children of God. And these people will come back to haunt Uh, the Israelites who have allowed them to remain. It's interesting here. It says that the Ephraimites did not drive out the Canaanites from their territory, but they did assign them to forced labor. Meaning what? Meaning they had the strength and the ability to force them out. But instead of doing that, 
they turn them into servants. If you have the ability to drive them out, you should be driving them out. This is actually a disobedience to what the Lord told them to do. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message in the book of Joshua again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. While you're there, you'll notice our companion resources. These digital study guides give you some additional insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done. They are completely free for you to use. If this ministry continues to be a blessing to you and you want to listen to more teachings, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person, so come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible right there in Joshua, and we'll plan to study the Word again next time. Thanks so much for listening to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.